Welcome to We Are The People, a podcast that speaks to people like you about your lives. With me, Philip Burke. Where am I in life? Where am I going? Am I doing it right? How did I get here? These are questions we ask ourselves constantly, but rarely talk about outside of our own heads and maybe our closest friends and family. Tegan Maguire is a friend of mine. She has an extremely successful career. She's 35. She owns her own flat. She is single. She lives in London. She's from Clonus, a small village in Ireland. Tegan takes on societal norms and faces them down, choosing the route that is right for her rather than the one offered up as the path most trodden. She speaks openly about children, societal pressure, how reaching her 30s has changed her attitude to life and what she learned from creating a plan for her life until she is 100. This is a story about a woman making decisions that are right for her. This is a story told with eloquence and honesty. This is Tegan Maguire. Tegan Maguire, welcome. Thank you very much for taking the time to join me today. You're more than welcome. Right, let's go way back to the beginning, back to Clonus. What did you want to be when you were a kid growing up? I wanted to be a pet vet. I know that's very specific, but I didn't want to be just a vet. I wanted to be a pet vet. And that was because of something on the den. I don't know if you remember, but they had a pet vet on the den and he like looked after cats and dogs. And that's what I wanted to be. It had to be a pet vet because obviously I came from a dairy farm, but I was terrified of cows. So I couldn't be like a vet that had big animals. Um, but that then evolved into, this is so random, but a very early memory of making an ad on a piece of paper, um, <laughs> incorporating my uh, dairy farming background and the career I would then went into of marketing, which was an ad for tourism in Hawaii. And it was a cow on a beach. And there was a play of like mooing and Maui, like Maui. Nice. Yeah, didn't obviously progress any further with that, nor did I go into a job uh, with advertising. Maybe did that you was have pets at home? Um, yes, had my dogs. We had Susie, and then we had a large proportion of goldfish over the years. Never got a rabbit, which is what I always wanted. Um, hate cats. Obviously, we had cows, which you know aren't really pets, but made the occasional visit into the house the cows did very occasional so we used to you wouldn't know about this because obviously you're from dublin but like do you know about cow shows or do like do you know what cow shows are so like cow shows are where they like bring cows into like a kind of like a ring an enclosed ring and they walk them around and sometimes you're judging the person walking them and sometimes you're judging the cow themselves why would you be judging the person walking them i guess because there's like a skill to it what that skill is <laughs> but like there is some sort of a skill to it because my sister used to compete and do this and like when she'd be practicing I remember there like being a cow taken into the kitchen at one point um, how big was the kitchen or how small was the cow um it wasn't like a calf but it wasn't like a huge cow how random is it that I remember that so would you be sitting at the kitchen table doing your homework and your sister's parading a cow around it wouldn't have been able to make it around the kitchen table, but it would have been able to make it in the door, in the back door, in through the utility room and into the kitchen. Although it probably had to be reversed out. I don't think it would have been able to do a full 360. Um, if your sister was more skillful, down, would she have been able to bring it around the kitchen table? Would she have been able to? Um, probably not, because it probably was actually big enough to not be able to do a 360 clearly my parents were like not that concerned about the kitchen floor all parts of being like on a farm philip that you'll never understand having been uh born and bred in our nation's capital (laughs) indeed what was it like growing up on a farm Mm, it's good fun like as in i i'd say anyone that knows me now probably a surprise that I come from a farming background and I was never really like heavily involved on the farm like a lot of my sisters did like actually work there and work on the farm on the weekends or after school or whatever and I never did not just because I'm a lazy bitch but because it just wasn't really my like area of interest slash as I said I was afraid of the cows 
Are um, you the youngest? Yes, I have four older sisters. So is that why you got away with it? Probably, yeah, I'd say so. I think my parents were kind of done parenting. So um, by the time I came along, so it was just kind of like if I was not showing any real interest, they weren't going to bother having that argument to try and get me to do it. But yeah, growing up on a farm is great crack, actually. Like when I think about it, things that I remember are like when we'd be making silage and during the summer and like you'd have like a load of men that like would be like silage contractors and the memory is always of like there'd be eight ten men to be fed at like lunch and dinner time so like mom would be so busy during that time big huge smelly men sitting around the kitchen table or she'd be making food for them and bringing it up to them in the fields and I just always remember that being great fun like you'd go up to the fields the grass was all cut and you'd be helping like with tea and sandwiches and like whatever would be going on for food so that was good fun and then I remember it was like so random like a lot of my friends weren't from farming backgrounds and like when they'd come for a sleepover when we were were small like sometimes we'd go over to like the morning milking at like half six just because like they thought it was interesting or fun or whatever I probably wasn't as interested in that but yeah would recommend simpler simpler times so if you weren't interested in the farm, what were you interested in? God, what was I interested in? Um, I suppose just like I was having a good time, whatever that means, like as in spent a lot of time in friends' houses. You a popular kid? Yeah, I probably was. Like as in, I think like there was probably reference to me being a popular one in the class. But bear in mind, this is like rural schools in County Monaghan where you know you don't have a huge number in a year or whatever in one class and I was probably a bit of a bitch when I was younger to be honest I'd say I was a bit of a queen bee and like yeah I'd say if you probably spoke to people I don't know why like I couldn't put it down to like any one thing like that I was mean but yeah I I was never like a bully or anything like that but I think it was like I don't know what it was like I guess I suppose I had nice stuff and were you spoiled I mean it's a very subjective thing isn't it um no I don't think you get things that your that your other sisters didn't get at that age probably yeah like as in say my older sisters like they probably didn't go on like as nice a holidays as we probably went on like when I was a child but like I was never like deprived of anything um but at the same time like things weren't handed to us like for absolutely no reason and in the way that like when I was like 15 it was like okay well you're getting a job now so you know off you go now admittedly the job was helped be given to me um but it wasn't like oh you know she's gonna like just get money for no reason. You a people person growing up? No, I was shy. Yeah, I was pretty shy. I think like as in, I don't know what the word is, but I think like, and I'd say this still, I'm a bit of a kind of like contradiction of myself in that I would be shy, but like once you get to know me or like you break down a barrier of any sort, I'm really not shy. Like, what would you say? Would you think, like, as in, obviously, you know me. Would you have ever thought I was shy? Like, what would your initial, like, impression of me been? No, I wouldn't have called, I wouldn't have called you shy. I would have called you very welcoming. I wouldn't necessarily say you were boisterous and kind of mm-hmm. craving attention. But I would certainly say that, like, we met in college. So if I was to be put in a group with you, you'd chat away. There wouldn't be any kind of, like, you need to talk to me first before... You're certainly not somebody who needs to be spoken to before they yeah. they speak. But it's interesting that you talk like as a child. Are you saying you're clearly you're clearly comfortable around older people and around younger people or your people your own age? You are quite confident and mean to use the words you used. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's a hard one. Like when I moved to London. Um, in 2016 
and started like a new job in a new company and like people's initial impressions of me and maybe this is a cultural thing as well I don't know was like that I was quite closed and I kind of only realized that or heard that back to me like later down the line and I was quite surprised by that but yeah I think I'm like I can be quite a closed person if you don't know me but once you know me kind of like you're fully immersed into the fold and you get all of me the good bad and the ugly but I think I've like made the effort to be more proactively outgoing anyone that works in corporate companies has done like all the personality assessments and psychometric tests and all that sort of stuff and like I've done insights which is like colors have you ever done that no no so it's like talks about like different energies and where you get your like what your energy preferences are and there's like four colors blue red yellow and green and like it's quite easy to like very like clearly segment them into different types of personalities so like a red person is you know quite dominant they're more kind of fiery and a blue person can be like a bit aloof they're very like data driven and a yellow person is a real kind of like high energy wants them to wants everyone to be like really positive and in a good mood and then like a green person is a very kind of like collaborative team focused you know doesn't want to ruffle any feathers sort of person and like I'm quite high blue I'm quite high red so I can be quite fiery but I am also like blue people like to reflect and they can withdraw they like the detail so it's interesting when you look at the different colors because you have your conscious colors and your unconscious colors and you learn to flex your colors depending on you know the people you're around and knowing people you work with knowing their colors makes you flex your colors so when I did consciously or subconsciously consciously and subconsciously so like I did mine my color my insights colors the first time in 2016 and I was really high blue really high red and literally no yellow and no green and I was working in a team of people where there was loads of yellows and so really high energy vibrant people and then when I did my colors again in like the start of 2020 my yellow had gone way up even my subconscious yellow and it's just from like working with people that have a very different energy to me so I guess I I think that like the the piece there is that like your personality evolves not just with age like I think with age obviously and how much you give a fuck or don't give a fuck about what other people think but also like who you're interacting with and you know the styles of the people around you obviously shape that as well do you care what other people think of you I think when you hit your 30s, you really stop giving a shit what anyone thinks of you. And I think, I mean, yeah, I think you care less and less as you get older about like what people think of you. And I think like if you were to go back to your early 20s, you did care and people's thoughts had an impact on you and on your behavior. But whereas you get into your 30s, And I think this is the best thing about getting into your 30s is you're just really comfortable in who you are. You accept, you know, there's goods, there's bads. And the people you have in your life at that point are the people that accept you for those parts rather than for the sum of you rather than just like, you know, they like you for certain parts. So the way that like I think your friendship numbers dwindle for a lot of people is because you're left with the people that love every part of you rather than just, you know, situational friends, put it that way. Yeah. And if if you don't care about what people think of you, it sounds like a contradiction then when you talk about the importance of the colours that you were talking about earlier. Because somebody is telling you that you're a red, you're a blue, you're a yellow, you're a green. And you are taking that on board and going... Okay, I need to change or I need to do this. But you you don't necessarily have to do it consciously. Like I think a lot of it is as in you can't just change your personality because then you're not like being your authentic self. But it's about how do you you do learn to like flex your own style 
rather than change your approach completely within the realm of your own authenticity. Because I think that like you can't just turn around and be someone else or like act a different way in a way that's not true to you. And I mean, that's something that I suppose as you get into your 30s and you're not like the youngest person in the team and work or whatever anymore. And you see like more junior people coming up through the ranks and, you know, trying to find their own path and their own style. You realize that like authenticity is such a critical piece. And if you can't be comfortable in your own skin or, you know, who you are, or if you're trying to play a role of someone else, that that like shines through so vividly and you you're buy-in to someone that's not authentic is incredibly difficult is it fair to say though in the corporate world that it is easier to be inauthentic and progress than in say the like the outside of work world um i actually don't think so i guess as you i look at like different people that i've worked with over the years that like i admire and have been successful they are people that are like very authentic true to themselves you know kind of like where they're coming from and what's kind of really underneath the skin there will always be people that will rise to the top in an inauthentic way and may have you know an agenda or I guess a bit of a smoke screen to them and some people may admire them just because of their position or you know they see them as powerful but I guess it's up to that person, you know, how they perceive. Some people may just like admire people because of their position, you know, how they got there or what they're like is irrelevant. But some people will admire people because maybe of the path they took or who they are as a person, what their underlying values are. And I would say I'm one of those people that would be more into that aspect of things rather than, you know, someone that just sits on a stage as like the most senior person in the company just because they are, you know, a senior person. When you talk about like authentic people, there's people out there who are being ruthless to progress their career. And that's an authentic part of them as well. So I think often, like you say, authentic, and it kind of needs, it, it, it kind of refers to like a niceness, but it's not always like that. No, I mean, it, it doesn't have to be, it doesn't have to be nice. And people that are people pleasers, can be super, super inauthentic as well. You know, just because someone's authentic doesn't mean you have to like every, you can respect them for their authenticity, but you don't necessarily have to like all their attributes just because they're authentic. Like exactly that, what you've said, like, you know, if someone is really ruthless and, you know, just really driven to be successful or whatever, that's, I mean, that's not necessarily a quality I would like, but, you know, if they're willing to be open and honest and like are openly ruthless about it, like you kind of have to have a level of respect for that. Yeah. At least, you know, like what page you're on with them. Yeah. What was it like moving to London? What was it like moving to London? Um, I moved in oh, in April 2016. I moved with my company to a new role opportunity Um, knock yeah opportunity kind of knocked but it was kind of like if you wanted it you had to open the door yourself put it that way I left probably not in I left Ireland probably not in a hugely good mental place and when I moved I as with all you know every time you start a new job it's hugely stressful I think I underestimated what a cultural change it would be and kind of as I got there I lived in a hotel for the first few weeks which is fine then I got like a flat and it was super stressful and just like work trying to get a bank account sorted that's a whole other story and then I was there about three weeks when I had the seizure in the office So I have epilepsy and I think just all the stress of everything had a seizure in the office. And at that point, I hadn't really told anyone on my new team that I had epilepsy. So it kind of came out of the blue for everyone. How did it happen? I'd always get like a trigger. So I'd know that it's happening. And I remember saying to 
Ali, the girl, bless her, she was the placement student at the time. So I think I'm going to have a seizure, um, which wasn't very helpful for her because she didn't even know I had epilepsy. <laughs> and obviously then went out. And my memory as I came around was, um, so I work in pharmaceuticals and there are lots of medics and doctors that obviously work in that space. But you also have a lot of people that are PhD so they're not medical doctors but they have a doctor in something chemistry or biology related so as I came around my memory was of this particular gentleman who was like really like nerdy scientist type person in my face like going you're all right you're all right and I that's my memory and I remember then like going home and stuff but it it really threw me I guess for the first few months because I had stopped driving and I had just gotten my company car then I had to get back the keys to my company car stop driving get like public transport to work and I think it had like exposed me in a kind of like a level of vulnerability that I wouldn't be comfortable sharing with people I didn't know until like kind of going back to what we were talking about earlier around once people like kind of get to know me and get to like they kind of break down that outer shell then like you've you've got all of me you've got every aspect of me good bad and ugly but that's kind of done on my terms whereas this was like having the seizure and have all that happen was done without it being on my terms so I'd exposed like a huge chunk of myself and that's you know, as time went on and I spoke about it like years later to my manager and people that I worked with, I didn't realize at the time what an impact that had had on me and how I behaved with people because I really shut down. But I also know, say, that was the you worst. You shut after. down after they knew, is it? Yeah, like I became quite closed. Like I didn't want to show any level of vulnerability at that point say the journey I would have probably had if that hadn't happened in terms of probably would have you know become more open and approachable and more like my true personality probably earlier than what because of what happened I closed myself off and didn't want to show like I guess that more vulnerable authentic side of myself I was more guarded for a long time but to be honest like I don't think I realized any of that at the time. I can look back on that now and I see all that and like have had those conversations with people that were there at the time in terms of that period in 2016 when I'd moved over. But I don't think I realized at the time kind of where I was mentally, both work and personally, and the kind of how difficult it actually was moving over. Like I think, uh, and I thought this, you know, it's not like you're moving to like a really foreign country. You're an hour away. Everyone's English speaking. I was moving within the same company. So it wasn't even like I was moving like to a hugely different company culture. But there is a lot more cultural difference between Irish and English people. Not just the obvious stuff around like, you know, the Irish sense of humor or whatever. There was a lot of difference. And even within the company, you know, it was a different kind of structure and there was like a different culture just by the nature of like English and Irish people. What are the day-to-day differences that you would notice between working in the same company in Ireland versus the UK? I think Irish people are a bit more like brutally honest. In in England people are a bit more politically correct. So like I would just say whatever was in my head and I think like some people found that like, oh, you know, they wanted to say it, but they would never say it and um, because it, some people might find it offensive or, you know, take it up the wrong way. So I think that like that's one of the biggest pieces is just that kind of directness that Irish people have, which I think you need, to be honest, in like a business environment sometimes. In a corporate world, if you're in a meeting and you're dancing around an issue, for like you could go around in circles for hours whereas like Irish people I think sometimes will like cut through all the bullshit and just you know get to the root of the issue or like say something that helps get to the root of the issue. The conversation we've had so far is very corporate heavy. Yeah. How important is your corporate success or progress or? (laughs) It's a great question like 
so I've gone through um when you turn 35 all you start to f- obsess about is like what's going to happen when you retire so recently because you know retirement is imminent um, or it just feels that way but so I recently went through this exercise with a financial planner so I bought a flat towards the back end of last year obviously first time buying a property huge investment you're like oh my god you know I actually have some real responsibility right now because I don't have any children or anything like that I don't even have a dog that I'm responsible for but so I went through this whole like plan this whole exercise with a financial planner and it's looking at kind of like what your financial goals are and what age do you want to retire at and stuff like that so this is like because all this has been happening it's been making me think a lot about like how important my career is to me so like with this work that I did with the financial planner they basically look at like all your investments your pensions and stuff like that and then they map out your cash flow to the age of 100 because yeah just to be precise in case and then they basically work backwards to see you know what age could you retire at what do you need to do between now and then in order to be like financially secure you have to really think about like where am I going to be at various time points so like for me even though my career is such a massive part of who I am and my life I don't want to be working when I'm 65 66 apparently when we retire people at our age retire it's going to be 68 it's going to be the like average retirement age which is so bleak so why is it so bleak if you've put so much effort into your career is it not going to be hard to walk away then well like I mean this is the thing I think about like I think as you get older, maybe your career becomes less important to you or maybe it does feel like that to me. I mean, this is a conversation I have with people all the time that I'm like friends with that I work with is, you know, we give so much of ourselves to our careers and to the companies that we work with. But at the same time, no one's ever going to write on your gravestone. She was really good at her job. And so, I mean, I'm in I'm in a place of conflict about this, being really honest, because I really enjoy my work and I really enjoy the satisfaction I get from it. And, you know, where I see like when I'm achieving things that that's really rewarding. But at the same time, I feel conflicted by that because I'm like, should that be the most important part of your life? Should that be what defines you? So, yeah. Like, is, it, I, is it what defines you? Like, I'm, I'm not saying it is. Yeah, I don't. Well, I mean, I guess when I, if you were to write on paper, like, OK, what define like as in, you know, where does Tegan spend all her time or like, you know, if you were to look at her successes in life, what are they like? What has she achieved? And I guess like most of mine would sit more in a professional column than say in a personal column, because I guess and I mean, maybe this is a very like traditional mindset, but you look at people in their 30s who are kind of like ticking the box of the personal things around you know okay they got married they had children they bought a house they did whatever bought a dog were successful at plant parenting these are all the things that like you know you tick off the box as being an achievement in your personal life or achievements in your life but they all, a lot of those things sit in a personal box and I guess because I haven't done those things and I mean done them what because I wanted to or not wanted to is a whole separate topic but because so much of them sit in the professional column, I guess you could say, that I feel like, therefore, my career does define me quite a lot. Which I suppose is what it is. Like it's... Yeah, and I mean, that's the thing. Like, as in, there's, it's not right or wrong. And I think, I mean, I find this area, like, really interesting because it's an area that's, like, evolving especially say for our generation more so than anyone because you know our parents generation it was much you know everyone followed a much more traditional path in that having babies uh I mean god forbid back in the day you had a baby before you got married I mean the catholic church would be all over you but you you did that path like when I think about like my parents like my mom and dad got married when they were in their early 20 very early 20s my mom worked for was a secondary school teacher worked for the first few years after having a couple of kids and then stopped working and that was that very traditional path and I think now like obviously I mean 
not going to try and quote statistics, but you see like what's the average age people are getting married at now and what is the average age that people are having their first child at now you know how so many people are having kids without getting married that this path this this traditional path is gone for a lot of people but it still remains the expectation I guess of like the of the most traditional path even though and I think a lot of us are quite a lot of us that don't necessarily follow that path look at the path and say should we be following it and you know if we're not following it like what is the expectation of those around us it's kind of rambly but it's like so like as in this goes back to the piece around like the financial planner and, and the um the career stuff so like as part of this whole planning exercise, you go through like, okay, what are your like life plans? And I mean, it's all very hypothetical, but you know, you do have to make a decision about like, in my plan, do I see myself having kids? You know, where do I see myself living? Where do I see myself retiring, etc. So you do start thinking about these things more than like you're not setting your, you know, this is this plan set in stone or whatever, but you do kind of like have to make some conscious decisions. So like for me, like I made the decision as part of this that yeah, I'm committing within this financial plan that I'm not going to have children. Um, which is something that I kind of knew already. But then once you kind of like put that like stake that as your position in the ground then you start to become like, okay, is this definitely the right decision I'm making? You know, by do, making this decision, am I defining myself completely by my career? You know, I'm 35. What if I change my mind? Is it going to be too late? All these sorts of things. And, you, and you're also looking at what everyone around you is doing and like the paths that they're choosing. And you see the good and you see the bad. And I guess it's the sense of, like is the clock against you you know can you change your mind are you a hundred percent confident in your decisions you know where do you go are you stressed um yeah I guess I am a bit stressed like I was chatting about this with one of the girls recently and like I think like what they say about like your clock from a female perspective about your clock is ticking your body biologically is definitely like at this age telling you something and it's not necessarily saying you have to have babies but it is saying like are you thinking about having babies you know hi I'm your hormones just FYI like there's something really subconscious happening in your body and in your mind in your mid-30s about making decisions about babies and whether or not you want to have children and like I would say that clock has probably started like subconsciously ticking in my body and it's not making me change my view but it's definitely saying okay well you kind of need to make a decision what way you're going and I guess you have like conversations with people about like freezing your eggs and you know people being mad to like find a relationship because they want to have kids and I guess all those things are kind of like factoring in my head as well and I know that I don't want to have children I'm fairly confident I don't want to have children I definitely don't want to have children on my own. So like, I don't want to, I've no interest in going down that path of like freezing my eggs or, you know, whatever. I would like a partner. I would like a husband, not a husband, but like, I would like a life partner, but I wouldn't want to have a life partner for the sake of having children. Does that make sense? Like. The fact that you, you are an eloquent person well able to get your thoughts across and have spoken clearly for the last couple of minutes and then ended with does that make sense is sad in a way because they're your, they're your thoughts that's what that's what 
that's what you think that's what you feel why what difference does it make what I what I think whether it makes sense or not yeah I guess it's it's probably indicative of the fact that it's it feels quite vortexy and spirally in my own head because do you, do you think that like like how much of your thoughts are your your thoughts because of what you feel internally and how much of them are impacted by what goes on externally in the in the world from a you know the pressures of of living in society yeah yeah I think a lot of it is driven externally because I think we all go through stages of you know comparing ourselves to others that's that saying isn't it comparison is the thief of joy but we compare ourselves to others especially you know people that we've known for years that we've grown up with you know where various people are in their life stages and the life choices that they've made and I mean it's interesting because I see it I have four older sisters they all have children I have niece and nephews ranging from 19 down to six so I've seen all of them go from you know being young carefree people to going through marriage having children having babies versus like raising teenagers which is like two very different things and I think like when you see your family have children and go through that kind of like life path you see the unfiltered version probably compared to you know what you might see with friends who's you know you don't see behind the door every day and you see the stress that it brings and sometimes you see the good and you see the bad so there's that aspect of like having seen that and like comparing like my life choices to my siblings life choices but then you also look at your friends and your colleagues and like their choices and kind of the girls nights out on the rip evolve into like much more civilized occasions because maybe people are pregnant so they're not drinking or you know responsibilities life etc gets in the way and sometimes you put that as like it's because people have had kids but the other time a lot of the time it's also just because people are getting older and their tolerance for alcohol is significantly reduced which is definitely the case for me so it does play a big external part but it's also like I mean there's still a societal expectation of like what people assume women want from their lives and I don't think that that's other other life choices are more acceptable but they still seem to come across as like a deviation from the the path the traditional path. Like I thought it was really interesting. Um, my sister said to me, it was Mother's Day obviously back in March, and my sister said to me afterwards that my nephew had asked her, did she think I was sad because we were all like wishing everyone happy Mother's Day on the family WhatsApp or whatever. And my nephew had asked her, do you think Tegan's sad that she's not a mother? I was really interested by this because I was really taken aback because one that my nephew that this was something that was obviously that they're thinking about in their own head about the fact that you know their aunt doesn't have children but also like for me I was like geez that would never have even occurred to me to be sad you know like that there's this gaping hole in my life and I know it's different for different people because you know there may be people who genuinely really do want a baby or there are people going through like fertility challenges. And that's when I think, OK, like the fact that that's not even occurring to me. Is like an indicator that like, OK, it's not that this is like some gaping hole in my life that I'm massively confused about. Like I don't, you know, look at people having babies and be like, mm, you know, I want one of them. Um, but you do you do look at what other people are doing and you wonder, is that path the path that I should be on? How can you not? I say, do you think society can change? But do you think society can make it easier for people who don't want children? Or is it easy enough if you if you, you hadn't even thought of that? 
Yeah, I mean, it's easy enough. Like, the only thing I'm asking for, and I do love to remind managers of this, is like how much value for money they're getting from me because I'm never going to go on that leave. I'm a big believer in you should get like paternity. If I ever get a dog, I should be entitled to some paid time off during that puppy's like early days in order to look after it. But yeah, I mean, society has like made it much more like easy. I, like I have lots of friends who are mar- who aren't married and have children and there's no kind of like, you know, oh, they're not married or whatever. But I think it's still as long as the majority, you know, do go down one particular path, then I guess that that kind of expectation remains that way. Yeah. If the majority go down a path, that's obviously fine. But like if the majority go down that path shouting about how great it is, then that's not great. Yeah. And I mean, I think they're, I think that's changing in that lots of kind of like more taboo aspects of say even things like postnatal depression you know no one ever talked about postnatal depression like back in the day whereas now you know that's much more of an open topic and I think social media plays a big part in kind of like exposing topics that are not you know I guess not so I don't know what's the word I want to use like people that open. Are comfortable, open yeah that people are comfortable talking about and I think that it would be easy to look at parenting and family life and say yeah it's all great it's all shiny but it goes back to what I was saying kind of earlier around like say when you see your siblings you see a much more kind of like warts and all reality of life that I mean maybe if you were like sitting on your own you know looking across at everyone parenting and it looks fabulous and it's all days out at the park and perfect Instagram pictures that you would feel more pressure or like longing to have that perfection but I think I do do know the reality of it and it isn't as like clear-cut and perfect as that. Um what was the Ireland you left behind when you moved to England? It wasn't like leaving Ireland wasn't a very like conscious decision. Um, I'm not one for like big overthought like life plans. Um, in the same way, like I bought this flat during the pandemic. I had no, that wasn't like a big plan that I had for 2020. It just kind of happened. But I guess I left Ireland in 2016. I mean, so I left. When I left, I was living in my sister's house after having gone through like some serious mental health problems and having moved out of like the house that I was living with my friends. I was living with my sister um, and her family and work was stressful but it was good and I guess I was just using like work as a distraction for everything else I'd come out of like a pretty fucked up relationship situation that had kind of like although it had had ended like a couple of years previous was still kind of like dragging on within my like headspace so I mean on paper you could say that it was like was I almost like running away or looking for a fresh start on paper it looks like that did I feel like that at the time no not really it was kind of just like well you know a job was kind of being presented to me I was ready for a change a couple of friends living over in London like a couple of my best friends were over there so it was kind of like oh well fuck it I'll take the opportunity and go but I guess subconsciously I was looking for a change I just didn't realize it yeah the mental health stuff did I come with you to London yeah I, and I didn't realize it at the time so like when I had the seizure and stuff like that um after I moved to London I think I had 
brought a small suitcase of mental health issues with me and then like having the seizure and stuff like that and just kind of like the difficulties of like the culture change within the company in the UK and stuff like that that suitcase probably got a bit bigger before it got fully unpacked which I'd say probably took the guts of a year and it's unpacked yeah I do think it is unpacked um I think it's as unpacked as it can be and I think part of that is also because you kind of get to an age where you're a bit more comfortable in your own skin and you kind of accept that like is there anyone in this world that's completely sane and has no baggage physically mentally emotionally I mean the people that think they don't tend to be the craziest of all of them I found so I think everyone carries something I'm not gonna like say like if I was high on life but I feel like in a much better headspace probably than I've ever been how did you do that I think you learn like you develop the tools to help yourself over time and part of those tools for me were given through like through my psychiatrist through counseling I've been really lucky in work to have had like a professional coach who also gave a lot of tools around like coping um and just being able to I guess you're able to like acknowledge feelings well I'm able to like acknowledge feelings or acknowledge like thoughts in my head and like say okay I'm acknowledging them but like I'm not spiraling in them or I'm not like overanalyzing them I can accept them and move forward I'm not gonna say it let them go because you can't just let everything go it's not that simple but like you can say okay I'm not going to let this thought or this feeling define my action or define my behavior and I think that that's like a muscle that gets built over time and there are different ways to I guess build that muscle but like one of the biggest ways in doing it is just like is time how do you relax sleep (laughs) what's your sleep record in a day well like I mean I'd say in a 24-hour period I could probably maybe have woken up like three or four times for like 30 minutes but I mean sleeping we're talking about like maybe my career defining me my ability to sleep let's be realistic also defines me (laughs) the ability to sleep anywhere and on any surface and for any amount of time is like it's impressive I mean where's the best sleep you've ever had god a great question you know I just got like so when I moved flat I got a new mattress um, I got one of those Emma mattresses and um, feel free to hashtag influencer and um, <laughs> yeah. an um, but I got an um, an Emma mattress and the first couple of nights sleep I had on that were absolutely unreal just really deep 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 sleep like where you wake up and you're like oh my god I've been asleep for like 12 hours it's amazing I do love a good like sofa nap Plain sleep, car sleep. I mean, I slept in toilet cubicles and stuff like that. As in, you're in an airport and you need, need a creep. You know, you have 30 minutes to kill. Um, or you're in work and you... I'm in, yeah, I'm in I've had like a... I've napped in the toilet cubicle in work. Not in a long time, but I have done it. An incredible yeah. talent. It is an incredible talent. It is quite useful. I mean, sleep, like when, like talking about, like when you were asking about like people dealing with stress and like, was I stressed? Like when I'm stressed, I need to sleep. So 
like that's my way of turning off is like I will like the only way for me to turn my brain off is to go to sleep so like I know a lot of people that like have stress can't sleep or like they're awake at night like super stressed or waking up in the middle of the night I'm the opposite I'm like I need to sleep what what have you most missed from uh, the normal world in this lockdown um, like I didn't get to come home for Christmas and like that was shit Chris, like as in I de- genuinely do love coming home and seeing my family and friends and didn't get to do that um, but why is family important? Why is that? I don't know. They just are, cause like, like I'm obviously a massive mommy's girl, so like I love spending time and seeing my mom, and like there's just a level of comfort of being at home in your own house, like where you grew up and in your own bed, especially when sleeping is so important, um, and just that kind of comfort that comes with being at home um but so I guess like the pandemic in ways has been good for me because it's made me realize that like people are more important than I would have like seeing other people and like socializing and engaging with other people is actually way more important than I would have thought it was do you use your Irishness or your accents to your benefits in London yeah definitely um I think you can like there are certain things you can get away with as an Irish person like my language is obviously absolutely foul but I think I can get away with cursing in like all situations um much more than if I was like an English person now part of it is because they say that like it sounds you know much more like less aggressive in an Irish accent than it does in an English accent but I think you I use well I use my Irishness to get away with that but I mean say like with work but also in London in general it's a very multicultural place like you're not just with British people you're with people from all different countries and cultures and I mean you can kind of like you can play up the Irishness thing because everyone likes, you know, someone Irish. And, you know, I think a lot of people that aren't British immediately warm to Irish people. And once they realise that you're not British, which I'm always quick to remind people of. <laughs> Why is that important? I guess I'm proud to be Irish. Isn't that like, as in, maybe that's, why all people should move away um, at some point in their lives is to to be appreciative of their I'm not going to say their heritage because it's not necessarily about heritage or the history of Ireland but like as in the per, the Irish personality and Irish people are you know there's no bullshit I mean obviously this is a massive generalisation but like I would say in general, they're, they're no bullshit. They're pretty easy to get along with. Um, you know, they bring a bit of laughter and a bit of fun to everything. And they're good people, like they're salt of the earth people. Yeah, why wouldn't you want to bring that to the table? And if I was to confuse you with being British, how would you react? I don't think I'd say anything derogatory about British people, but I would just want to remind you that I'm Irish, that we're different. If somebody thought you were British, what, what are the what are the assumptions they would make about you? Um polite. Um proper. Straight laced. I'm not those things. Even though you are cold. I know, like all of this sounds so fucking hypocritical. It's like do you want people to know you, but you're conscious of letting people know you? I don't know, Phil. Like, as in, 
I do want people to know me and I want I'm trying to think about like the things that are important to me that I like I want like I think are important values for myself is like someone to be like authentic and like I want to be authentic I want to like you know what you see is what you get I don't want to be a person with hidden agendas and I want to be someone that's trustworthy um, and is honest like I don't want to be like this perfect person that never does anything terrible or never fucks up or you know whatever never offends anyone yeah I mean it's an interesting one I guess everyone is multifaceted multiple layers to them and I'd say like I'm definitely a very multi-layered person yeah, I agree. If you could stop your life now and do anything, there's nothing to stop you, like say retiring or choosing a different career or starting a business or starting a charity or doing whatever, what would you do? that's a hard one actually like as in because there's a difference obviously between like saying stopping and saying okay if I could just stop now and go somewhere different or versus like stop and go backwards and like change the path and like right now is there anything massively different I'd change I don't think you can live like that wondering what might have been or what what else you could be doing well I think you can't live in the what could have been but I guess it you know in terms of the like here and now if you were to stop and say okay what you know if I was to do something different there's a temptation to always think of should I be doing something radically different you know, should I pack in my job and go and like, you know, save the environment or whatever? Um, and the reality is, like, for most people, it doesn't necessarily require like a massive shift change, unless you're desperately unhappy and you want to, like, there's something that really needs to fundamentally change in order for you to you know get off the hamster wheel and what would be the word like reassess your life and you know go do a genuine like course correction um and I think if you know say if there's something major in your life that requires that then yeah you know it's good to have the balls to go and do that but I don't feel like for myself that that's something that I want or need to do. Yeah, I'm not like a real, like, and that's why it was funny, like, doing the financial planning thing because, like, there was different, like, time points in it, right? So, like, and going back to this is all, like, a hypothetical bullshit life. So in 2028, I'm going to buy a terraced house um so I'm going to move to that in London and then I am going to live there and then in whatever year it is that I'm 62 I'm going to move back to Ireland to retire um, and I'm going to retire in Clonus I'm going to buy a house and like the idea of making like these plans for like way down the path I was like oh, fucking hell like not feeling comfortable with that idea at all um, and you make them you put a mark on paper to say okay in a hypothetical world this is what I'm going to do but like would that be my default to want to do that no not at all what's it like going back to clothes um there's good parts and bad parts to it I like the kind of small town kind of feel and attitude I like the people where I'm from and like it's great having friends living at home so that like even when my parents are 
long gone I'll still always have ties to that area because my child some of my childhood friends are still there and because none of my siblings live there so I I like that kind of like small town feel but at the same time like one of the things I love about London and it was the same living in Dublin to a certain extent as well as you can be as anonymous as you want to be when you want to be anonymous and I think like when you are at home and when I'm in Clonus like you know everyone knows everyone's business so it's a bit harder to have that level of anonymity when you want it to the other piece as well is like and I mean major first world situation but like you know when you're in London everything is on your doorstep if you want something delivered no matter what it is or someone to come to your house to do something for you you can get them anytime any any day and if you're willing to pay for it are you happy I feel like you're making me really self-conscious asking this question Phil because I feel like you're trying to unearth that I'm not happy. You sound happy. You sound really confident. Like you say, you sound really confident and comfortable. And I just, I just wanted to hear you say, I don't want to hear you answer. Yeah, I think I am happy, but like, as in, I guess you doubt yourself. And I mean, I think I also question, and I know it doesn't matter, but like I do question, do other people think I'm happy? And a lot of this goes back to, my, it's all a fucking circle, like the whole piece around being in your mid-30s and, you know, everyone's assumption that you're lonely because you don't have a husband and your ovaries are about to like collapse in depression because you don't have children. So like, even though I feel happy and I do feel happy, I feel happy in myself. I like, I'm happy with my life. I question, I'm I'm constantly doubting myself. Am I really happy? Because there are these fundamental parts that don't exist in my life. And I'm like, shit, am I am I just fooling myself thinking I'm happy? I'm going to hit 40 and I'm going to be like, fuck, I should have got married. I should have had children. I should have like ran that 5K every weekend that I told myself I was going to do and never did. It's a really like complex. Yeah. It's a co- really complex area. Not area, but like as in. It's a funny time in life. And it's, uh, yeah, I guess I'm just like, I feel happy. I, you know, I'm happy with the choices that I've made in the here and now. And I'm like, because I feel like this is such a pivotal like point in your life, do you am I going to be happy in five years time with the decisions that I've made at this point? And I don't know, like, as in, yeah, I don't know. It's hard. Thank you, Tegan. One of the aims of this podcast was to hear from everyday people about their lives, to give an insight into the challenges ordinary people face so that we can learn from one another and also normalize those challenges. Tegan embraced this concept wholeheartedly. Career is hugely important for Tegan, from being recognised as someone a company is willing to invest in relocating, to the thought she puts into psychometric testing and how she is viewed by her colleagues. Work clearly plays an important part in her sense of self. But she is so careful to stress that she would not let her work dominate her life. And her line Nobody's ever going to write on your gravestone she was really good at her job. Shows how conscious Tegan is of the hold her career could have over her life. Comparison is the thief of joy is a brilliant turn of phrase and it couldn't be more apt in today's world dominated by image. I think if we all had Tegan's ability to marry real life with perception and find a happy medium, we may all benefit. It is refreshing to hear someone speak so openly about the pressure they feel from society and the impact it has on them. 
There are so many trivial things that society puts us under pressure to have. Clothes, cars, holidays. But yet the same pressure seems to exist for women in their 30s to have children, not taking into account the life-changing impact that would have. I don't know how you change that, but maybe being conscious of it is a good place to start for all of us. Contradictions, by definition, don't make logical sense. But when Tegan says she is shy, but when you get to know me, I'm really not shy, it makes complete sense. Now that Tegan is older and has stopped caring what other people think, that contradiction has become something she owns with pride. That is all for this week. I'll be back next week, and I hope you will too. We are the people is presented and produced by myself, Philip Burke, and our team tune is The People by Trevega.